in spite of, as chapter 1 deals with, with our circumstances. And that's the single mind. It's that mind that is set on Christ. It's just focused on Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus second, Jesus third. He, is, he covers all the bases. He's, he's there. How do we have joy in our, in our spirit in spite of, in spite of people? That's kind of what we're looking at and Paul deals with in chapter 2 is, look, if you have this submissive mind, if you actually have the mind of Christ, before we have a mind set on Christ, then when we get the submissive mind, we have the mind of Christ. You know what? People don't bother us. Amen? How many of you could use that? There's some people that bother me. There's some work people that bother me. You know what? When we get the submitted mind, it doesn't bother us. So Paul begins chapter 2. Showing us the perfect example of the, submission, the, the submitted mind, uh, the submissive mind, and that's Christ Himself. He gives Christ as this example, and He tells us that we must let this mind be in us, which is also in Christ Jesus. So it, it's telling us that you know what—that's the mind Jesus is working in us as a believer. The Holy Spirit is constantly working on your life to bring you to that place where you have the submissive mind, where you have a humble spirit like Jesus. That's what God is trying to do in our hearts and our lives. And Paul continues by informing us that we don't do this. This is not something that we necessarily do. Verse thirteen tells us that. That is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So as a believer, when, when you allow God to work in your life, you don't resist the work that God's doing in your life. You, you, you submit to the Holy Spirit. We're talking this morning in our, in our membership class about the difference between being, you know, being baptized with the Spirit. We're baptized by the, with the Spirit at salvation. The Spirit indwells us, but we are being filled with the Spirit, right? Now, what does that mean that we are being filled with the Spirit? Well, it means simply this. It's not that we get more of the Spirit. It means the Spirit of God gets more of us. That's what happens when we submit to him and allow him to do the work he wants to do. Then we come to verse 12, back up to verse 12, and we see what happens because then we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So God works in us, and we work out. We work out our salvation. It's God working in us. He is shaping us, molding us, correcting us, leading us, all these things. And as he works in us, then we work out our salvation. That's really where we're at with what Paul has been teaching us. Now, we know that uh, we knew. Here's what Paul probably knew as he's writing this. He knew that his readers would be prone to say this. Well, is it, is it possible for us to follow such an example as Christ? I'm not, I'm not God. I can't do the things that God did. That's a, that's a tall order, amen? But he also, they would also say, you know, how, how can I follow even the example of, of Paul? Today we say Paul's the greatest, we would say Paul's the greatest Christian to ever live. The things that he did. I don't know if Paul would say that, but we say that about Paul. And, 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 and maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But the fact was he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a great man. He was a great ambassador for the Lord. He, he meant everything that he did. So we look at Paul and go, man, how can I measure up? How can I have that submiss- the submissive mind like Jesus? How can I have that submissive mind like Paul? Is that even possible? After all, you know, Jesus is the very son of God and Paul is the chosen apostle and he had done all these great things and had these great experiences. How could we ever be like that? And so for this reason, Paul introduced to us two ordinary saints. And that's how we're going to finish out this chapter because he's giving us further examples of the submissive mind. He wants us to learn from this and be encouraged from this. Listen, when, when Paul says, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I do want to do, what does that do for us? It encourages us, right? Because, because what you look at is you go, man, if Paul struggled at times, 
I'm so glad to hear that. I'm not glad that Paul struggled, but I'm glad that when he struggled, he didn't hide it. He, he shared it with us because it tells us, look, if Paul can struggle, if Paul can at times not do what he knows he should do and what he really in his spirit wants to do, but he doesn't do it, or at times where he does the things that he knows he shouldn't do that, and he did it anyway, man, that's the battle constantly that we all face with the flesh, with the old man, and Paul struggled with that. So it encourages us, right? So it encourages us. So we're what Paul's doing. He's going to present to us two ordinary people, two ordinary people who had the submissive mind. And what it's going to do, I hope what it's going to do, is help us realize, you know what, I can do that. I can be in that place. I can have the submissive mind, and I can have the joy of the Lord that comes from that. And that's what he's telling us this morning. So Paul introduces us to these two men who are not apostles. They're not some spectacular miracle workers. We don't read of any of those things. They were humble servants of the Lord who had joy in their life. That's what we want to see. He wanted us to know that the submissive mind is not a luxury enjoyed by a chosen few, but it is a necessity for Christian joy. If you want to have Christian joy, then submissive mind is a, is a requirement. We've got to get to that place where we have a submissive mind. It's necessary for Christian joy, and it's an opportunity for all believers. So that, that is, is kind of in the way of introduction. I want to, you know, we're, going to, we're going to introduce you to these two men that Paul introduces us to. But let's pray again. Father, I just ask right now that you would calm my spirit, give me clarity in my thought and clarity in speech, and I pray, God, that you will... Um, Lord, you'll preach through me this message that's, that's been prepared and prayed over. Lord, I want to preach it uh, as you want it preached. I want to say what you want me to say. I don't want to say what you don't want me to say. So, Lord, guide my thoughts and my speech now. And Lord, I pray each one in here, I, I, every one of us, we wouldn't hear Conrad. I pray this morning we'll hear the Word of God and we'll listen for the voice of God in our life to speak to us. I pray, Lord, you'll speak to every heart in here, and there'll be something this morning for each one of us. It may not have anything to do with what the message is about, but I pray for every person in here under, under the Word of God, under the preaching of the Word of God, under the power that is in that, that each person, Lord, will be impacted today for the kingdom's sake. And God, I'll give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Now, the two examples, first is this, is, is the example of Timothy. And you look there in verse 19. Paul says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, that's, that's kind of a sad statement. It's kind of a sad statement that, that there he is, there's, there's, and we know, I'm going to say this now, there, where he was in Rome, there were a lot of Christians. Could have been 100 Christians, may have been 150, may have been more. There were a lot of Christians there. In, in Romans, I think it's Romans 16, Paul names like 25 or 26 of those believers that were there in Rome. So we know there's believers there. But what he says, he says, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. What he says, there was no one of all those Christians there in Rome, there was no one that he could trust to send out. And that's a pretty sad state of affairs. It's, it's, a, it's a humbling thing, and, and it's, it just shows that you know, the, the, they were not submitted to the Lord in that way, or not yet. Verse 21, he gives a reason why that's the case. He says, for all seek their own. All seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. You know what? That happens. We think as we as believers or other Christians, man, their life is all about Jesus. It's focused on Jesus all the time. But what we see here right in Rome, and folks, it's no different today. I promise you it's no different today. Some of, us, some of us struggle with this from time to time. For all seek their own. That's what Paul said about the Christians there in Rome. They all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, they were struggling with having the, the single mind. 
the mind focused on Christ. They were having problems with the submissive mind, where they were willing to do whatever. It wasn't about them, because when we get the submissive mind, you know what we do? We sacrifice and we serve, because we're doing it for the Lord. The Lord changes our want-tos, and we work it out. Amen? So it's, pretty, it's kind of a sad situation. But he said Timothy was the only one in the whole group there, and he had... You know, I'll t- talk about this in a minute, but he, he's the one who brought Timothy there. It wasn't like he was a Christian there in Rome, in the church there at Rome. He, he came with Paul. So now Paul's going to send Timothy because he's the only one he can find who he trusts to send out. He says, but you know his proven character. He, he's telling us right here, Timothy has proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Timothy has stood by Paul. He has been like his son. He has done whatever. He's just served in all these different ways. He says, therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So he wanted to send Timothy to go and be a blessing to the church there in Philippi, find out what was going on, what their needs. Obviously, from letters they'd received, there were some things going on there that maybe needed to be dealt with. So he wants to send Timothy back because he can't go himself at this time. But he tells him, I hope that I'm going to be able to come soon. I'm sending Timothy, and I hope that I'm going to be released and I'll be able to come to you shortly. Now, when we talk about Timothy, Paul called Timothy his son in the faith because he had won him to Christ. We have every reason to believe that. Paul probably met Timothy on his first missionary journey back, if, if you were, you can write this down and go and read it, but in Acts 14 is, is the time which he would have met Timothy and perhaps led him to the Lord. And so he very well could have been converted at that time. And apparently Timothy's mother and grandmother had been saved first. You go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, you'll see that. They were, they were believers. Before Timothy came to faith, they were believers. And it was so much of their influence in his life that brought him to faith. Um, Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother and Gentile father, but Paul always considered this young man his own dearly beloved son in the faith. He he says that in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Notice that Timothy was just an ordinary person. He wasn't an apostle, just a normal young man that Paul had won to Christ. Timothy could be any one of us in this church today. He'd just be someone who, who lived in a normal life, we, and, and, and Paul won him to the Lord, and then later on he's going he's gonna to bring him into the ministry. Also notice that he didn't, did not join Paul's ministry team until years later. So here's what's interesting. He leads Timothy to the Lord, but he doesn't bring Timothy right in to his, to his mission team. He, you're, you're part of the body of Christ now. Timothy, why don't you just come and go with us now? No, he didn't do that. And we're going to see what he did. So Timothy, he leaves Timothy there. He wanted him to the Lord, and, and they're establishing a church there. And, and, and so he leaves him there, and he, here's what Timothy did. He attended his church. He grew in his faith. He served in his church. He developed the single mind, and that led to him having a submissive mind. And no doubt, Timothy was faithful in his service to the Lord and sacrifice for the Lord because the Scriptures tell us that Timothy had a good testimony of service there at home in his church. Acts 16.2 says he, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy had been a faithful servant of the Lord in his home church. You know what happens oftentimes is someone, someone comes to faith in Christ and in their zeal, they're ready, to, they're ready to, I mean, they've been a Christian three weeks, they're ready to go pastor First Baptist Dallas. You know, they're ready to conquer the world. I'm going I'm to go, go to the mission field. I've been a Christian for three weeks, six months. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it takes time. Paul didn't just take Timothy and plug him in. 
So when Paul returned to Derby and Lystra several years later, I'm guessing more in the neighborhood of five or six years later, he comes through there. And, and on the second, second missionary journey, it was then that he recruited young Timothy as one of his fellow laborers. We see that. He comes back. He's allowed Timothy to grow in his faith. He's allowed him to allow the church. The church is the instrument in this. The Holy Spirit is working in our life. The Word of God is working in our life. But it's through the church. So there, there may be somebody, you know, gets saved in our church. So what do you do? Serve in your church. Grow. Know, you know, figure out through the Scriptures, search in the Scriptures, learn what the will of the Lord is. Don't, don't, don't concern yourself so much with, what's God's will for my life? I've shared this before. That, that's a decent question, but it's, well, it's really not. It's really a bad question. What is God's will for my life? Leave the my life part off. There's enough about God's will in the Scriptures. Learn His will. Know His will. Know how He wants us to live our lives. And as we live our lives, according to the Scriptures, you know what happens? He opens doors. He opens doors before us. Timothy may have, when, when he met Paul and got saved through Paul's ministry, ministering there, Timothy very well could have said, man, one day I'm going to work with him. One day I'm going to be a missionary with Paul. We don't know that. We don't hear that. But it's very possible. So as he got in and he just buckled down, he served in his church. He worked in his church. He attended classes. He attended, he attended Wednesday night. He came to Sunday small groups. He was here on Sunday morning. He, he's in the ladies. No, he wasn't in the ladies Bible study. <laughs> he was in the men's Bible study. He's learning. He's growing. He's, 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 be, he's becoming you know, more. He's growing in the grace, and he's growing in the knowledge of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he spends years there, years in preparation. And, then when, and when Paul comes back through there, he sees, man, this is the young man I led to the Lord all those years ago. Man, this is fantastic. And, and everybody's giving a report about what a fine young man Timothy is. Man, he's so strong in the faith. He's such a man. He's serving. He's sacrificing. He's, doing, he's got a great report in that community. And Paul says, the Lord speaks to Paul's heart and says, take him. Take him and train him up. Train him up. So that's how that happens. Now, that's not always the model for folks. And there was a story, um, uh, there was a story about a popular local nightclub performer. He visited a pastor and announced that he had been saved and wanted to serve the Lord. What should I do next, he asked. Well, I suggest you unite with a good church and start growing, the pastor replied. Is your wife a Christian? No, she isn't, the musician replied. I hope to win her, but do I have to wait? I mean, I'd like to do something for God right now. That's not a, that's not a, uh, that's not a, improper desire. Understand that. It's not an improper desire. When we get saved, we ought to have a desire to do something for God. Amen? The problem was he wanted to do too much, too fast, and, and, he, and he had had no time to grow in his faith. Watch what happens. The pastor says, no, you don't have to wait to witness for the Lord, explains the pastor. Get busy in a church and use your talents for Christ. But, I don't, but, but, but you don't know who I am. All right, he doesn't have the submissive mind, does he? Uh, the man protested. I'm a big performer. Everybody knows me. I want to start my own organization, make records, and appear uh, before big crowds. If you go too fast, warned the preacher, you may hurt yourself and your testimony, and the place to start winning people is right at home. God will open up places of service for you as he sees you are ready. Amen? Meanwhile, study the Bible and give yourself a chance to grow. The man did not take the pastor's counsel. Instead, he set up a big organization and started out on his own. His success lasted less than a year. Not only did he lose his testimony, 
because he was not strong enough to carry the heavy burdens, but his constant traveling alienated him from his wife and family. He drifted into a fringe group and disappeared from public ministry, a broke and bankrupt man. His branches went out farther than his roots went deep. The pastor said, when, they, uh, when this happens, you eventually topple. So, folks, it's important. It's important. What, what do you take from that? When you, when you get saved or you're a young Christian, you may be a Christian for 10 years. You may still be a young Christian. You know what you need to do? Get in your church. Be faithful in your church. Grow in your church. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord may want you to just serve in your church faithfully for the next 50 years. And we need that. Amen? But he, he may, somewhere down the road, as you grow and as you mature, and, as he, and, and, and you've got the mind of Christ, you've got the submissive mind, you've got a mind like Christ, you've got his mind, he may call you to something more. He may move you away from here. But it, but it starts with getting your roots deep. You, you, have, you see these trees a lot of times get toppled over, and there's no depth to the roots. They just go kind of out, right on the surface. There's no depth. And the little wind comes along, blows them right over. That can happen to us as believers if we don't allow God to mature us and get deep roots first. Amen? So Paul didn't make that mistake with Timothy. He gave him time to get his roots down, and then he enlisted the young man to work with him on the missionary journeys. He taught Timothy the word and permitted him to watch the apostle as, in his ministry. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, he says, But you have, you have carefully followed my doctrine. Now he's talking about Timothy. Manner of life, purpose. Faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know what happens? When you decide you're going to live for Christ, you're going to face persecution. Just be ready. Be ready. In fact, when you face that persecution, give God glory, because it means you're doing the right thing. Amen? Amen. We're going to suffer it. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is that's what Paul did. He brought him along and trained him up. Because Timothy had a submissive mind. He was willing to serve. He was willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And Paul teaches him and he empowers him and he equips him to do this work. This is the same way that Jesus trained his disciples. He gave personal instruction balanced with on-the-job experience. That's what Paul is doing with Timothy. But again, remember, Timothy is just a normal guy. He's like any of us here. Now, Timothy was also this. He was a blessing. He sacrificed and served others. He wasn't always worried about himself. He was sacrificed and serving others. He sacrificed and served Paul. He served Paul. He served with Paul. He served at Paul's mercy. Whatever Paul said to do, he was, he was faithful. He was submitted. He was humble. And he went and did that. Philippians 2.19 says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who, is willing, who will sincerely care for your state. You know what he's saying? Timothy will. Timothy, I don't have anybody else here that would do that, but Timothy will. Timothy solid. He was like-minded with Paul. Paul could trust and send him out on important ministry work. Paul had great confidence in Timothy's heart and character and love for God because Timothy had a mindset on Christ and he had the mind of Christ. So he was, he was a blessing. He was a blessing to those around him, those he ministered to. But Timothy was also blessed. Folks, when you, 
when you are faithful to the Lord, there, there is no greater blessing in life than serving God. Amen. There's not. There's nothing. Now, now, the Christian life, people say, oh, man, you get saved and all your problems go away. That's a lie of the pit of hell. You're going to have problems in life. As a, as a child of God, you're going to have struggles in life. God uses all those things. He uses everything that comes in our life to shape us and mold us to be like the Lord Jesus. But we're blessed. There's things that you get to experience. Um, T- Timothy, he got to serve with Paul. There ain't, ain't a whole lot of people in the history of mankind that can say that. How many of you here would go, oh, man, if I could get a job with Paul, go on his mission team and work with him, well, you'd do anything. We'd do anything to serve with Paul. He got to serve with Paul, the greatest missionary ever. He got to learn from Paul, to watch Paul, to see firsthand how the great apostle handled every situation. There were good times and there were bad times. But what a blessing to serve the Lord and to serve with Paul and to serve others. What joy this surely brought into into Timothy's life. Just an ordinary guy who serves God faithfully, who has his mind set on the Lord, who then has the submissive mind, who wants to serve and he's willing to sacrifice to serve God. And you know what he experiences? You know he experienced great joy in his life. Just a normal guy. What joy this surely brought to Timothy's life. He had hard times, but you got to know, man, he was filled with joy because of the way he was living his life. That's Timothy, just an ordinary guy. Any one of us could be like that. Second example Paul gives us is Epaphroditus, verses 25 through 30. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for, all, for you all, and, I, and was distressed because you have heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but, also, but, but me, uh, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Now Epaphroditus was a, as far as we know, he was a full Gentile. Okay? He, he was a, a member of the Philippian church. And he was the member of the Philippian church who risked his health, he risked his life to carry their missionary love offering to, to Rome to, to, to deliver to Paul. So, I mean, let's put it in terms today. So, let's say the banking system, whatever, we can't do this electronic stuff, but we have, we have a missionary. We've got the, 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 um, the Crockett's over in Papua, Indonesia, and, and they, need, they need some money, man. They're in, a, they're in a dire situation. They need some money. They can't leave the country. They can't get away. We can't wire it to them. So we say, hey, church, we're going to take a love offering. Here's the need. We're going to take a love offering. We, we get a really good love offering together. So we got this cash that we're going to d- take over and deliver to them. And uh, we, how are we going to do that? You know, who, who, who and, and, you know, Paul's in Rome going, man, who can I send? There, there's a group this size and none of them are willing to go. You know, Epaphroditus is the guy in their church. He's the guy in their church. They take up this love offering, and they start figuring out, all right, how are we going to get this to Paul? And Epaphroditus said, I'll go. I'll go. It wasn't some trendy thing. Look, you got to understand, that was a dangerous, a dangerous thing. It was dangerous to travel in those days. You get beat up on the road and mugged and robbed and murdered. And he's carrying a big old wad of cash. And if anybody knew that, he, he might even have a bigger target. He didn't care about that. He said, said, I'm willing to go because he had met Paul. Obviously, he had met Paul. He had an affinity for Paul and his ministry, like we ought to have for our missionaries. We ought to to love our missionaries. We ought to be grateful that they're out doing a work that that we're not not called to do or or, or maybe at a season in life where we couldn't do, but we ought to love our missionaries. He loved his missionary, Paul. 
He wanted to be a help. He says, man, y'all need that to go to Paul? I'll do it. I'll do it. Send me. May not have been anybody else that wanted to go. But here's Epaphroditus, and man, they were willing to trust him with money, trust him with that kind of a trip, and they sent him off. Just an ordinary guy in the church. A guy who loves the Lord. A guy who's focused on him, has the mind of Christ. He has the heart of Christ. He, he, man, he's submitted. He's willing to serve. He's willing to sacrifice, so he goes. And we, and we know this because in Philippians 4.18, it says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So we know right there it was Epaphroditus who brought this gift. He took those risks to do this. Now, his name is interesting. The name, the name Epaphroditus means charming. It means charming. Man, you just know Paul said, man, that name fits. What a charming guy, this Epaphroditus. And he's willing to put everything aside back home. He may, have been, he may have been an elder in the church. He may have been a deacon in the church. He may, he may, have, he may have taught a Sunday school class. You know, he might have been a, the head usher. He might, you know, he might have been teaching Monday Bible Club. Who knows? But he was involved with a lot of different things. We know because he was faithful to his church. They had confidence in him, and they were willing to send him. And he went, man, he went. They thought he was charming. Paul thought he was charming. But Epaphroditus, he was, he was also this. He was a blessed, I'm sorry, he was a balanced man. He was a blessed man. We'll get to that. But he was a balanced man. Paul says in verse 25, Yet I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my brother. It means he was born again. He's a part of the fellowship of the gospel. We'll go back to chapter 1, what Paul was talking about. He's a part of that fellowship of the gospel, that, that the believers working together. He says he's a fellow worker. You know what that is? Part of the furtherance of the gospel that we saw in chapter 1. Paul was all about the furtherance of the gospel. Look, if me being in prison furthers the gospel, praise God. If my head chopped off furthers the gospel, praise God. If they let me out of here and I get to go and win others to Christ and plant more churches, praise God, praise God, because I'm going to go further the gospel. So it's, he, was, he was with him in the fellowship of the gospel. He is a fellow worker in the furtherance of the gospel, and he was a fellow soldier. He was one who fought for the faith of the gospel. He was balanced. It wasn't one or the other in those areas. He was all three. He's his brother. He's a fellow worker. And He's a fellow soldier. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's easy sometimes for us as Christians to get out of balance. It's easy for us to get out of balance. Some Christians think only of the fellowship, the brotherhood, the camaraderie, and have no time to win souls or fight the enemy. Others are so wrapped up in service that they forget fellowship. And this was the mistake. Y'all, you're familiar with Mary and Martha. I'm going to mention this in a second. I'll read this in a second. But, but here's... Um, Here's the thing. One of the things I pray every, every year as we go into the new year is this. I, I don't ever want to get so caught up in the work of the Lord that I neglect the Lord of the work. Does that make sense? I don't want to get so caught up doing the work of the Lord that I somehow neglect or draw away from the, work, the Lord of the work. First should be that relationship with Christ. We work on that and we work out of that. You know, we can get caught up in the things that we do and feel like we're okay and we're good with the Lord, but what's happened is we're so busy, our, our devotion time has, has dropped off. We're not reading the Bible like we used to. We're not having this time where we get in a prayer closet or get on our face before God and, and commune with Him in prayer. Because we're so busy in His work, we ignore Him. And I pray, I pray, I've prayed that prayer for probably 20 years, serving in ministry. Lord, I don't want to get so caught up in Your work that I neglect You. That I, that, I, that I get apathetic or I pull away or I get distant. We see that again with Martha in Luke chapter 10. Uh, uh, Martha and Mary, 
Verse 38 says, Now it happened as they went in, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with, with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. So she'd probably come by and tap Mary on the shoulder a few times and say, get in, get in here. Help. I got, you know, we're trying, you know, she's trying to accommodate everybody and be the hostess. She's working. She's cleaning. She's cooking. She's doing all. Mary, get in here and help me. That didn't work. So she goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell Mary. Don't you see? She's sitting here at your feet. I'm doing all this work. She's, she's failing to help me. Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. She's like going to daddy. Telling on, tattling. And look what Jesus said. He answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, can you, you can hear the gentleness in this. I, I, I read it in color. So when I read this, I see gentleness. I, I hear gentleness. He doesn't go, Martha, Martha, what are you doing? No, he goes, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But this one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. What was that? It was sitting at Jesus' feet. It was learning from him, of him. It was just adoring him. She just, couldn't, she just couldn't hear enough of what Jesus was saying. She has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And the idea was she was out of balance. It was all about serving. It wasn't about the worship. It's all about being busy. And then there's others that still, that, that uh, they're always fighting. So much so that they neglect fellowship and they neglect service. Now, we know the scriptures tell us to contend for the faith, but we must, we must guard. We've always got a guard against becoming so contentious that we're of no earthly good to Christ. And I've met some folks like that. I mean, they just, they want, they'd rather pick a fight about something. And if there's nothing for you to fight about, they'll find something. You know, they're going to find something until they can fight with you about it, about scripture, because they've got this or that. And they, you know, you know who I'm talking about, right? Y'all, y'all met folks like that? I hope not, but you probably have. I have. I've met a lot of them. You know, we need to be balanced Christians. Epaphroditus didn't fall. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't fall into either of these traps. Epaphroditus was like Nehemiah. And, you know, Nehemiah was the man who stood on the wall. And, and as he led them, you know, they were up there on the wall rebuilding Jerusalem, the walls around Jerusalem. It's fortifying that city. And they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. It means they were ready to fight or they were ready to work. They were about the work of the Lord, and they didn't get distracted with that. So they had their weapons there to defend themselves. And that's what we have to do. We have to be balanced. We have to be balanced in the fellowship and in the furtherance of the gospel and in the fight to defend our faith. We've got to be balanced in all those areas. You can't build with a sword nor battle with a trowel. It takes both to do the Lord's work and to accomplish the Lord's work. So we have to be balanced. Uh, Harry Ironside used to tell about a group of believers who thought only of fellowship. Okay, they're out of balance. They're just, just thinking about fellowship. So, so they had little concern for, for reaching the lost or for defending the faith against its enemies. In, in front of their little meeting place, they hung a sign that read, Jesus only. But, but Ironside says that the wind blew away some of the letters and the sign eventually read, Us only. And it's a perfect description of a group of people who are not balanced Christians. We have to be balanced. So he was a balanced Christian. He was also a burdened Christian. 
He had the submissive mind and thought of others, not himself. And here's what, what happens. We've talked about this. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. He, he, was, he was a burdened Christian. He thought of Jesus first. He thought of others second. And, and look, he had a burden for Paul. And, and, and it's what brought him to Rome. He had a burden. He, Paul's in prison. He needs something. I want to go. He had a burden to do that. Like Nehemiah had a burden to do something about rebuilding the wall. Epaphroditus was like, look, I don't care what y'all are thinking about. I want to go. I can just see him saying, I want to go. I want to go serve Paul. I want to go help Paul. I'll take the, the offering. I'll do all of that. He had a burden for Paul. And then though he was sick and almost died, his burden was for Paul and his burden was for the church back in Philippi. He loved those people, and he, he knew they had heard that he was sick, and it grieved him. He wanted them to know he was okay. He, he loved those people. And you know what? He was, he was burdened to spread the gospel to the lost world. Why else do you track hundreds of miles to be a part of the work that Paul's doing? You want to further the gospel. You understand the work that Paul was doing, the work that the missionary was doing. Man, I go right back to missions here. We've got, we're supporting several missionaries now. Man, the fact that we get to be a part of that, another way of casting the net, right? We cast the net, and we do that through the missionaries that are going places we're not going. And they're doing things we can't do. We can't do that from here. But they're over in Papua, Indonesia. They're over in Papua, New Guinea. We, we, um, we've got them in, in Italy. We've got them locally. We, we're, we're investing in them. We're helping them as they go and they do the furtherance of the gospel. We have a part in that. Man, Epaphroditus, he had a burden to spread the gospel. We ought to have a burden like that. But he was a, he was, the last thing here is he was a blessing Christian. Now, I could say he was a blessed Christian because he was a blessed Christian, but really it's more true to say that he was a blessing Christian. What a blessing Epaphroditus was to Paul. He's in jail. He has need. And here comes Epaphroditus. Can you imagine how encouraging that would have been to him? It's the same maybe encouragement sometimes we feel when we have a need, we're in a situation, and, and someone comes and they visit us, they pray with us, maybe they bring a meal. We're doing, we're doing a meal train right now for Tim and Teresa, for the babies. For, well, it's for the, they, the babies aren't going to eat it. We're gonna, y'all going to prepare meals and they're going to eat it. But what a blessing. What a blessing you are. You are a blessing when you take a meal to them to meet that need. And that's the way they'll see it. They'll see you, and they'll be like, man, thank you. This is just such a blessing. So you're, you're a blessing. He was a blessing to Paul. And it, it must have been so encouraging to Paul in those days where they prayed together and they labored together. He was a blessing to his own church. He made it possible for the Philippians to share in Paul's important ministry. And moreover, Epaphroditus is a blessing to us today. Because here we are this morning, all these centuries later, and we're talking about Epaphroditus. We're talking about his faith. We're talking about his single mind. We're talking about his submissive mind. And you know what we're looking at is Epaphroditus is just like us. Any one of us in this room can be an Epaphroditus. Anyone in this room can be a Timothy. It's having the mind of Christ, a mind set on Christ, single-minded, and it comes into being a, a, a submitted mind. Then it's just, man, I want to go and serve and sacrifice for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, the last verses here in this, in this chapter... Paul made a command to the church at Philippi. And so let's look at Paul's encouragement to the, the, the church at Philippi concerning Epaphroditus. Again, verse 29 says, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness. And I think they would do that anyway. It seems like they cared about him. And when he comes back, that man, that gladness, that joyfulness, 
that, that excitement, that energy that would be with that. He says, receive him therefore in the Lord with gladness. And look at the next phrase. He says, and hold such men in esteem. He says, hold him, hold him in esteem. Look, give him honor. Recognize him. Recognize him. Honor him for his sacrifice, his service. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply for what was lacking in your service toward me. Paul basically commanded the church to honor him because of his sacrifice and service. Listen, Christ gets the glory, but there's nothing wrong with the servant receiving honor. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, in this writing, this is, this is speaking about maybe those who are in vocational ministry, pastors, missionaries, or whatever in that side. But this applies really to the body of Christ. And listen, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 and 13, Paul, Paul says, And we urge you, brethren, to, con, to, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. He says, honor them. Now, here's, here's something that I don't know if, I don't know if this is the idea. I, I, I don't think I've heard this. I think I, actually I have. I've had it from a couple of folks. But have you ever heard, you know, don't say anything about this or, 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 or don't, don't mention my name because I, I, I don't want you to steal my, uh, steal my reward. I don't want to lose my reward. You ever heard that? You ever heard somebody? Come on, y'all, surely somebody's heard that. You've heard that? So, so there's this fear of, well, if, if we get recognized, then, then you know, there's my reward. I lose my reward, and I, I want my reward in heaven. Folks, you ain't losing no reward because somebody honors you for serving the Lord and recognizes that. Understand that. And I want to explain, because I, I think this is something sometimes we struggle with. You know, I, I don't mention my name. You know, okay, great. That's a humble spirit and stuff. But if we choose to honor someone, like, like you know, Fred's a deacon. Where's Fred? Is he hiding back there? Is he out smoking again? <laughs> Where's Fred? You know what? I have no problem with honoring Fred. Because Fred doesn't... You, you, you want to see a definition? Look up deacon in the, in the dictionary. There should be a picture of Fred right there. Of servant. There ought to be a picture of Fred there. Um, he's hiding there. there. Oh, he is there. I couldn't see him. He is sitting there. Hey, Fred! <laughs> because I'm going to tell you, when Fred does something, he doesn't do it to get recognized. He doesn't do it to get attention. He doesn't do it to, to feel his ego. He does it because he has the submissive mind. He has a heart that wants to serve others. Who wants to, who, he's willing to sacrifice. He's willing to put himself out there to help somebody else. He's got this mind. He's got this attitude. And, and, and he could go, well, preacher, I don't want you to say anything because that's still my reward. I ain't going to steal his reward because that ain't what he's doing it for. Now, if he was doing it for that, then that's all he'd get. Because let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest the, uh, thine alms, alms, you're giving, when you give your alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Why do they do it? He tells us, that they may have glory of men. So why did they do it? These folks were giving alms. They were giving to the poor. They're, they're, and and, and it, would be, it would be like, I've given this illustration before, it would be like me and Pastor Aaron and, and somebody else, we go to lunch or something, and we're walking by, and there's a homeless guy there, and, and I go, and I'm walking by, and I go, hmm, you know what? If I, if I show this guy my love and generosity right here, Pastor Aaron and, and Brother So-and-So, they'll really think highly of me. So, hey, brother, hey, man, God loves you. Give him some money. God loves you and make a big deal because I wanted, I wanted them to see something and think a certain way. Whatever they think about me, I've already got my reward. Because that's what I wanted. I wanted some recognition. But 
But I can do the same thing. And I go, I go down a little bit and I say, hey, 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 y'all go ahead. I'll catch up with you. I got, I got to do something. And you give the guy some money. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else knows about it because you wanted to serve him. Because the Holy Spirit said do it. Now, which one of them is God going to reward in glory? You've already got it in the first case. You got what you wanted. You wanted some attention. You wanted somebody to think good of you. They may see through you, though, and not think good of you. But the second one, if God said do it and you did it, and you did it quietly, nobody's going to steal your reward. Okay? Matthew 6, 5. And when thou pray, same thing. Don't do like the hypocrites do. For they, they love... For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Why do they do it? Why do they pray in public? Because they want people to see them and go, oh, those religious people, man, they're so, they're so faithful to the Lord. And so when people see them and go, oh, they're so religious, they're so, man, they've already got their reward. He says they have their reward. There's nothing else coming. Verse 16, moreover, when you fast, do not as hypocrites. Uh, not, a, not as hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their rewards. So there are others who would go out there and they would, they would, they would fast or maybe act, just act like they're fasting. I could see that from the hypocrites. Oh, had big breakfast, but go out at lunch. Oh, I haven't eaten in days. Oh, fasting for the Lord. You know, it's just what we do. We fast for the Lord. Y'all hear that right? And so people look at them and go, wow, man, what? they're so committed to their faith. And they fast for them. You know what? They've already got their reward. So what I'm saying is it's, it's all about your attitude. When you humbly serve the Lord, if someone recognizes that or honors that, you know, they're not, they're not going to steal your reward. God knows your heart. Does that make sense? Okay. There's no contradiction between Philippians 2.7 where Jesus made himself of no reputation and then Philippians 2.29 says, Hold such men in esteem. Christ emptied himself in the gracious act of humiliation, and God exalted him. Epaphroditus sacrificed himself with no thought of reward, and Paul encouraged the church to hold him in, in honor to the glory of God. Now, so here's what we've seen. Two ordinary men. Two ordinary men. Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they experienced the joy of the submissive mind. And this joy, folks, is, ab- is available to every believer. The joy that they experienced. You don't have to be uh, an apostle. You don't have to be called to be a missionary and, and go to, to, to the outermost parts of the earth. You don't have to. If God calls you, that's a great thing and you should go. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to be called to be the pastor or an elder or a deacon. You know what you can do? You can just faithfully serve God right where you're at. You serve God right where you're at. You can have this single mind where you focus on Christ. And as you focus on Christ and he changes your want-tos, and now you have the submissive mind, which is the mind of Christ. And now, man, there's a need. I want to help. I want to help. Yeah, okay, well, I have to give up that. I'll give up that because I want to do the work of the Lord. I want to serve him. Folks, we have the opportunity. Every person in this church has that opportunity to experience that joy. Now, I want joy in my life. Amen? Amen. I want joy in my life. I met with some guys yesterday, and we were talking about We're talking about the end of our life. I don't want to get to the end of my life laying in my deathbed and saying, I wish I had done this, or I wish I had done that. I wish I had spent more time with this, or her, or him, or them, or whatever. I don't want to, I don't want to have that regret at the end of my life. I want to get to heaven and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. 
And as I've said before, if you're going to well, you know, if you want to hear well done, you got to well do. Now's the time to well do. Now's the time to, 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 be, to be serving God. So, uh, Pastor Aaron, you can come forward, Jim. I got a, a question. I want, I'm going to share something I want to ask you, just a simple question, and we'll have our invitation this morning. The title of this, I don't even know if I shared the title of this message, uh, but the title I've given this is, Where Do You Live? Where Do You Live? And I want to explain this. Newspapers across the country some years ago told how 38 people watched a, a man stalk a young woman, finally attacked her, brutally attacked her, and, uh, and not even one of the 38 spectators picked up the phone and called the police. This went on in, in New York. Um, I was reading a book about this, but he went into a lot of detail about what, ha- what happened. But people were looking out their windows and shutting them. People, people might have been even in the street and saw it and did nothing. They didn't step in to help. They didn't, they didn't uh, make a phone call to the police or anything. The woman was just brutalized. You know, today, if you, if you look at any social media, you don't have to look long, and what you're going to see is today are these videos of people being attacked, and what are the folks around them doing? What are they doing? Wow, i got to post that to Facebook. As somebody's being brutalized. They don't... We got a culture today that doesn't want to get involved in anything. There was other stories of these two young men found a woman. She was in a, in a uh, this goes back a ways, but she was in a phone booth, so it goes back a little ways. But she'd had a heart attack, and they, they got her, and they dragged her, brought her out, and they went to this house and rang the doorbell, knocked, and said, hey, we've got this lady here that needs help. And the person in the house said, go away. Go away and take her with you. And we think that's strange. But there's, there's a resistance somewhat like that in the body of Christ where we're reluctant and resistant to get involved. I, I like sitting back. I like to just watch. It's not what we're called to do as believers. Even in Paul's day, even believers who were, uh, even believers that were, were, they weren't all in with Christ. The believers there in Rome, it, it just doesn't seem that they were all in with Christ. And they, because we know they were seeking their own, as Paul said in verse, chapter 2, verse 21, he says, For all seek their own, not the things which are in Christ Jesus. Church, in a real sense, all of, our, all of us live, we live in one or two places. So the question is, where do you live? Do you live in Philippians 2.21, where all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus? Or do you live in Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain? Where do you, where do you live? Because I'll tell you this, you can't live in both. It's, that's, that's what James says, the double-minded man. And that double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So really, we, we either need to be all in for Jesus, that for, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And if we're not there, then we really are for all seek his own. When you seek your own, you're not seeking Jesus. And when you're fully seeking Jesus, you're not concerned with your own. So we live in one of those two addresses. Either Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21. But here's the truth of, of what we talked about this morning. You can be the next Timothy. Or you could be the next Epaphroditus. 
Or I'd say even better yet, how about you just be the first you? How about you just be you? You serve God. You have that single mind. Make it that for you to live is Christ. And allow him to work in your life to change your want-tos. To bring you to that submissive mind where you just want to serve God. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to do whatever. But to live in for me to live is Christ. What joy we can experience in our lives as, as we develop the submissive mind and discover the joy of sacrifice and service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you live? Philippians 1.21, Philippians 2.21. So my question is simple, and then we're going to have an invitation. Do you need to change your address this morning? trying to live in both worlds, today's a good time to draw the line in the sand and say, I'm going to live for Jesus. Maybe you realize that I haven't been living for him. I'm living for me. Maybe today's the day we change addresses and, and really it be that for me to live as Christ. Father, I ask that, Lord, as we go into this time now of invitation, Lord, I already prayed earlier that you'd speak to our hearts, and I have no doubt, Lord, you're moving in our hearts this morning. You're moving in our midst. You're speaking to us. Lord, this morning there may be something that, that Lord's hindering us from being all in with you. God, I pray whatever that is, we'd lay it down at your feet this morning. Lord, if we're not living, if we're not living in for me to live as Christ, and to die is gain. And Lord, anything outside of that is not where you want us to be. I just pray, God, right now, you'd speak to our hearts. Maybe we need to step out and come down here and just give something to you, or, or we need to take, take something back that we've given away that, uh, that, Lord, you want us to get right with you. Lord, I pray you speak to our hearts, convict us, of what needs to change. And then, Lord, give us humble hearts to receive that. And may we be obedient to respond to whatever you're doing. Lord, just move now. Father, I pray if there's even one person in our, in our midst this morning who's never come to the place where they understand they're a sinner and that they're lost in their sin, they need to be born again. They need to receive the gift of salvation that you offer. When we understand we're a sinner and we're separated from you, there's nothing we can do for salvation but turn to Jesus. God, I pray there's even one person here this morning. Today would be the day that they turn to you. They call on your name, confess their sin, and believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. God, would you move now in our midst and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.